you know, all the naysayers was like, oh, whatever, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, and in retrospect, it's, you know, it was that stubborn determination is, is really kind of the, in my mind, the key ingredient to being a successful artist. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 121 of the Commando Voice. Today, I speak with the owner of Cascadia Stoneware. Please welcome Jeff McDougall. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Commando Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camano Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, Subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We w- Sorry, I was just going to jump into the Christmas spirit there. <laughs> hey, guys, it's Brandon again with the Camino Voice. Um, uh, thanks for coming back for another episode. Um, this episode um, is going to be releasing um, on the 14th of this month, uh, so... Uh, happy 14th day. Um, but this is the last episode um, that, uh, at least last uh, interview episode, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to try and sneak in a, a special Christmas episode of just kind of, um, I don't know, whatever random thoughts come into my head. Um, but this is my last interview of the year. So I wanted to make sure I took this chance to say Merry Christmas to you guys. Um, super happy with another year of podcasting. Um, again, really enjoy doing this. And so um, you know, like I said, like I say in a lot of different episodes and stuff, you know, share with your friends, uh, try and spread it. Cause I really do want to keep growing this thing. Um, I enjoy doing it and, uh, hearing from you guys as well. So, um, you can always send me things at voice at CaminoCommons.com. Um, love to hear from you guys. Um, but yeah, uh, have a Merry Christmas if I don't talk to you before then. Um, and again, I've got a lot of interviews planned for the coming year, so don't worry, we're not going anywhere. Uh, just taking a small break as we get through Christmas season, uh, have a family vacation planned in there, and then uh, getting my feet under me in the beginning of the year. So lots going on. Um, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, about this episode, um, I've actually been wanting to do this one for quite a while. Uh, Cascadia Stoneware has been a staple within the uh, and Commando Commons Marketplace for quite a while. They do excellent work with their stoneware. Their mugs are the things that stand out to me um, because they are, first of all, they're amazing size. So when you want a big cup of coffee or a big cup of tea, um, there's just nothing that compares to it. They're just so nice. Um, they're solid. and um, but his plates and his bowls and all the different things that they make are just incredible. And so, um, and then also he works with his wife. So him and his wife met in college. Uh, they've been married for many years now uh, and they work together on the business. And so um, we get to hear about their story, how they got to know each other um, and, uh, and how they, they kind of made it through 2020 and, and what that looked like for them. And so, um, yeah. So we're going to get into all of that and more. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff McDougall. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today, I'm here with the owner of Cascadia, Cascadia Stoneware and Pottery. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jeff McDougall. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a l- little bit about Jeff. Um, well, I was um, born and raised in the Skagit Valley. Uh, grew up... Um, in the flats between Mount Vernon and La Conner. Uh, my folks still live there. Um, went to Mount Vernon High School. 
Also 94. Um, went to Western Washington University up in Bellingham, um, and I currently reside in eastern Whatcom County. Um, I actually got my degree um, in um, art with an emphasis in ceramics, so um, actually studied pottery in school. Um, and yeah, I guess that's the, the super quick version. Uh, met Natalie while attending Western. Um, okay. We got married in 99, so we've been together 22 years now. Congratulations. Thanks. Very cool. So what was it like for you growing up in the Skagit Valley then? Because that's, that's obviously gone through a lot of changes over the last, you know, 20 plus years. Yeah, I'm, you know, I loved it. I love living out in the country and, you know, riding our bikes around and um, going to the river and stuff. And um, I uh, was really like going up into the mountains and hiking and camping things I still love doing now um and yeah there's there's definitely been a lot of development and building and I think you know my only concern would be you know the the loss of farmland but otherwise I think it's created a a pretty vibrant local community I feel like a lot of folks in the area you know are really locally um minded and supporting businesses like i see more um full buildings you know in downtown Mount Vernon than when i was a kid um which i think is great so it's mm-hmm. i don't think that 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 growth has necessarily been a bad thing um and you know small farmers are doing well at the markets and so i think there's you know there's there's been some good things to the changes um so yeah yeah. Well, and I, I think uh, one thing that stands out. So I, you know, I grew up on Kamano Island, um, but now my wife and I live in Skagit County. Uh, we live in Mount Vernon. And <clears throat> um, my wife grew up coming in and out of Skagit. Uh, she lived outside of Cedro Woolley. Um, okay. But a lot of her people she knew, friends and stuff, were in Mount Vernon or that's in the Skagit area. So um, they're, like you said, I think they're so locally minded. Um, they really want to see Skagit Valley succeed and grow mm-hmm. and, and, and um, be successful more so than just grow for the sake of growth or, you know, yeah. to get things upgraded or whatever. It's it's always locally focused. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of like that original character in the valley still and up in Bellingham. It's not all just the same box stores. I mean, there are, you know. The, the big big names, but there's a lot of independent businesses, and I, mm-hmm. I know it's especially in Whatcom County. There's a really high ratio of independent business owners. I think it's one of the highest in the nation, and I see a lot of that same trend in the Skagit Valley and, and just throughout the Northwest in general. A lot of um, young entrepreneurs, um, people willing to take a risk um, because they want to live here, and so um, they don't want to relocate somewhere else to you know make their dreams happen. They want to they want to be in the Northwest, so. Yeah. Well, and I was even thinking there's 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 businesses that are maybe the, like the larger businesses, um, but a lot of those are cooperatives. So like even like there's Skagit Valley Co-op, which is one. Um, but I was even thinking of like REI um, as mm-hmm. far as like hardware or like mountaineering stuff. Like it's a co-op. So like mm-hmm. it's all for the, the com- general community that's around here. It's not just to grow business and stuff. Yeah. Well, and even Costco, the Northwest business, um, they've always been notorious for um, paying their employees well. I think it, you know, it's part of that mentality is, is, you know, supporting each other and helping each other out. So it's not a co-op per se, but um, it's always been a little more employee oriented than a lot of just the big boxes. Um, yeah. 
Nice. So um, you grew up, uh, so did you grow up going to, were you homeschooled or public school? Oh, no, I went to, uh, my, my parents are actually both teachers. Um, my dad taught at Mount Vernon High School. So I went, I went to um, Washington Elementary on the west side of Mount Vernon, um, LaVenture Middle School, Mount Vernon High School. Um, okay. And yeah, so I, I went, you know, definitely all public school. Um, you know, my parents being teachers, we had, they had summers off. And so we did a lot of, you know, cool um, traveling, a lot of car camping and, um, you know, they're really all about, you know, educational things. We'd go to all these museums and do all these great things. Um, they're very, you know, focused on, you know, education in the school, but also at home. And I think that really helped. Um, you know, my siblings all were top of their class. I was I was kind of the, the rebel a little <laughs> bit, but um, we we're all, you know, successful, um, you know, education school and at home. Um, you know, we, we grew up uh, fond memories of sitting on my dad's lap while he'd read to us when we were little kids. Um, and we all love reading. Reading's one of my favorite hobbies. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it kind of takes both, you know, to really be, you know, successful. I think not just public education, but education at home too. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and you brought up your parents again. Um, I've got to say, one of the things that uh, when we were probably like six years ago now, uh, you know, we were going out trying to find a Christmas tree. And so we were driving yeah. around trying to find a Christmas tree, you cut place. And uh, we saw some signs. And so we followed them out there and we jump out of the car and we're looking at the, along the house, there was a table set up with some pottery. And I was like, that looks just like the stuff that we have at the marketplace. Yeah. That's my folks place. They, they started uh, selling Christmas trees when I was a little kid. Um, that's kind of my first interaction with, you know, doing, you know, working with customers, doing sort of a retail situation. Um, and they still sell trees at, you know, it was a nice little side income, little yep. hobby that, you know, helped pay all those college tuitions for all of us kids. <laughs> and um, actually, when my mom went back to get her master's degree, it pretty much paid for all that, too. So, wow. I mean, it's a, a little acre and a half tree patch. Um, and my dad loves just, you know, getting outside and, you know planting the trees and trimming them and digging stumps. It, it's a good excuse to get out and, you know, <laughs> and be, you know, outside and get some work done. So, yeah, no, yeah, we still love going there. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. so then, uh, when, so during your school years and stuff, what, what were you more inclined to the arts and stuff growing up and stuff as well? Yeah. Um, you know, we always did a lot of craft projects. Um, my mom was really into that. Um, I've got a, a pretty artistic family, lots of music, um, musicians and artists in my family. Um, my my aunt's like a, a award-winning quilt maker and my parents were both really into singing. Um, and so we were just really brought up with an appreciation for the arts. Um, in high school, I actually was more into choir um, and debate and things as extracurricular activities was in um, plays and whatnot. It wasn't mm -hmm. until college that I actually started taking art classes and, and started taking that really seriously. Um, it was kind of always on the radar, but I, I thought I was going to be a, a history teacher, kind of following my parents' footsteps in the, the teaching uh, profession. Okay. Um, yeah. Nice. So when you got to college then, what was it that kind of led started leading you towards that direction? Um, I just found that I was spending all my free time 
kind of doodling and, you know, my notes for a class would be all these little pictures I was drawing on the side and um, just found myself getting more into just, I was into printmaking, like block printing and stuff, and just getting really drawn into the art world. Um, and really it was, I did a, a study abroad in Athens, Greece, and just being immersed in all, you know, going to these museums and seeing these 2,000-year-old vases and all this amazing sculpture and all these things that I really kind of clicked. I was like, man, I want to be a part of this aspect of, of human culture. You know, I want to be, I want to have my hands in it. I want to make, you know, things. Um, and it was because I was kind of still on the fence, like teacher or artist, teacher or artist. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, I want to try to, you know, see if I can make something work with this. Um, and ironically, I hadn't even taken a pottery class yet at that point. I was okay. all printmaking. It wasn't until I came back in my first quarter back at Western that I, I took my first ceramics class. And it was, it was actually by default, it was the one art class I could get into that wasn't full yet. Okay. Uh, and so I, I took it in that first quarter, I was just like, like some little light bulb went off. I was like, wow, this is, there's something here. And I spend less and less time in printmaking and more and more time in the, the ceramic studio and um, a year later, I got an apprenticeship and was was working in a pottery shop. Okay. Nice. So during your trip to Greece then, was there anything that really stood out to you? Like is there, there uh, like a moment you had there or, or just any aspect there? Um, you know, I, I don't feel like it was one specific moment, but on, on Sundays you could go to any of the museums for free. And so I would just spend my Sundays going up to like the Acropolis or going to these museums. And it was just being so immersed in that and just being kind of blown away by the quality of work being done thousands of years ago and how that, that was, you know, what had held on through history and what was so important was these works of art. And it just was kind of blown away by how my, my interest had always been in history, and that's what was part of why I went there and how art was kind of like this marker of, you know, showing historical evolution. And then I got really into uh, the oriental aspect of pottery, and, you know, it goes back thousands and thousands of years. Just, you know, it's been it's ceramics preserves, you know, wood and, and fiber and all these other things. They you know, disappear through time, they rot away, whereas the pottery survived. And so you have this amazing chronology of history based on ceramics, and you can trace trade routes by where it went. And it just seemed to kind of be this, you know, fascinating, you know, I was just fascinated by it. It's like, wow, um, we did go to a pottery shop while we were there. Um, it was like a field trip and watch these guys making stuff. And um, again, I still hadn't taken pottery, but I was, I was fascinated by it because it was such an important part of, you know, decoding the history of, of these ancient cultures. Yeah. Very cool. So as you were kind of going through school and everything and you were you started down the pottery journey at was it as you were doing that, were you still under the like, I guess, did you think that you could make a living and everything based off of? pottery or did you think it was going to end up being kind of more of a side hobby um yeah i was really torn about that for quite a while um there's definitely you know a lot of folks are like oh you should get the teaching certificate as a fallback and and you know it's it's really hard and and yeah they're right <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> um so it was you know it was 
but I was young and idealistic and I, I actually, um, you know, I was started my first business before I graduated from college. I kind of, I apprenticed and I started a little business in my parents' barn and I was working as a potter, finishing my degree in ceramics. Um, so it was kind of like, I was so determined to make it work. I wasn't wasn't really listening to the voices of, of older voices of reason saying, you know, well, there's no money in it. And it's it'll all, you know, all the naysayers was like, ah, oh, whatever, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, and in retrospect, it's, you know, it was that stubborn determination is, is really kind of the, in my mind, the key ingredient to being a successful artist is you, you can't listen to the people saying you can't do it. And right. you just have to plow ahead and find a way and because you will find people that say oh of course you can you know yeah it's not going to be easy but you can make it work but you're going to have to be determined and focused and you know just unrelenting in in your desire to make it work yeah Um, well and i do think like i've I've had this conversation with some other artists as well and it is difficult because you it's these people that are loved ones or friends that are trying to you know look out for you and give mm -hmm. you your best advice um But in order to, like you said, to be that to be successful and to actually push through that, you have to say no. I'm I understand your concern, but I'm gonna make this work. Yeah. And I, oh. oh, are you there? So there? My computer just blinked out there. For okay. A <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you know my expectations were never super high um, as far as like <laughs> needing to make a lot of money. I think that's also the other. Thing key ingredient is I'm not one I don't need the fancy new car big fancy vacations I love just doing you know growing a garden and and going hiking in the hills and things that you know don't really cost any money and so it never seemed I never had these dreams of like driving a BMW and and you know going to you know Mexico every spring break and stuff and so it was kind of you know my ability to live small kind of helped facilitate this yeah Um, you know, that we were able to, you know, save money, you know, on a, a fairly modest income and buy a home and all these things is because well, we weren't doing fancy, you know, living it up and buying the expensive clothes and stuff. It just wasn't my personality. So I think, you know, if somebody wants to do that, great, but you might actually need to get a job that pays more than a, being an artist. Um, yeah. It's partially a lifestyle thing. You, know, yeah. you have to be willing to accept the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, in this then, you said you met your wife at college, right? Yeah. So um, as you were kind of going through this, were you both in the same classes? Um, yeah, we had some art classes together. Um, we actually technically met, we were both working at the Bagelary, which is a little deli in Bellingham. Okay. Um, and so we, we were working there and we met... Um, and then I, I somehow tricked her into helping me set up the show that I was doing um, <laughs> up at school. Um, and one thing led to another, and all of a sudden we're dating. Um, and we ended up taking a couple classes together. Um, and so, um, yeah, we both definitely had the interest in art. Um, and she, she actually did not start into the pottery right away with me. That okay. was that a little bit later. Um, she worked some other jobs out of college um, while I um, worked in pottery. So Okay. What was her degree and what kind of was her trajectory? Um, she ended up getting a general studies degree. She bumped around between like psychology, 
um, and art and, and kind of couldn't decide and finally had enough credits that they were like, well, you can just graduate. So <laughs> she did. Um, yeah, she um, she had also thought about being a teacher. Her, her mom was a teacher. Um, and so she ended up working as an optician out of school, just kind of got, you know, a decent job. And um, and then it wasn't in, until the Cascadia business started that she came into the pottery thing with me um, and was able to get, you know, kind of more back into the artistic roots that she had been interested in. Mm -hmm. So um, you said you had started a pottery business during college. What happened when you were done with college? Did you just pour more time into that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was working out of my my parents' barn. I had my little McDougal Mudworks pottery business, um, and I did a lot of um, wholesale for uh, Munyari Pottery in Bellingham, which is where I apprenticed. Um, and it was with them that we actually created Cascadia. Okay. Um, that was uh, my own business I did from, like, 1999. I started it through 2000. I think I really kind of officially stopped doing that in 2003. And then I worked in at Munyari in their studios, their house potter for the next three years. Um, and then 2006, end of 2006, we started Cascadia. Okay. And so was that, were, were they um, like partners in it or, or you were stepping they out? They were the owners of it actually. So they, Frank had been making pottery since the sixties. His big dream was to do this wholesale business. Um, our timing couldn't have been worse. <laughs> we started pretty much in 2007 is when we really did the big push to make this happen. And, you know, the recession officially started in 2008, but for artists, it started in 2007. Yeah. And it just, you know, we put all this money and effort into building this up. And it was like right after, after the holidays of 2007, it was like 60% of the business that we had spent all that time and money getting plus. I mean, it was like, like somebody flipped a switch and there was no, there's no bailouts for that recession. And it was, it was a total disaster. Um, they, they lost uh, the Munyari. They basically, we took over Cascadia and the debt. So it was, it was a mess. Um, we had employees, everybody had to be let go. Um, it was pretty much as bad a timing as you could imagine. Um, you know, and it's, you know, we didn't really know what we were, we were doing. I, I try to, you know, blame a lot of it on the recession, but we were also new to the wholesale thing, and there's there's a lot to learn versus just doing retail. Yeah. Um, as, and so, you know, we had a, a lease that was too high, and, you know, we had probably overhired to begin with, and, you know, we made a lot of rookie mistakes that were then exasperated by the economy completely cratering. Um, yeah. And so it just was a perfect storm of just yeah it was a mess <laughs> yeah so what was that like for you though because this is like you'd finally kind of gotten to this point where you guys were really investing and in, in building a new business what was that like for you during that time it was a personal crisis yeah I mean it was it was really rough it was probably the worst phase of my life trying to trying to hold on to the dream and um we um we refinanced our home and put all of our savings into building a shop so we could move the business to our house so we weren't um, paying a, um, you know, a, a lease on top of everything else. Um, and, you know, we had to kind of rebuild from scratch, um, you know, re, 
reworked the whole business plan from one that was focused on wholesale to, you know, a mix of wholesale and retail. Um, it was hard. You know, we worked all the time. You know, it was just, we, um, we kind of built it back up. Um, and then we found that we didn't really like how much we we're having to work by having employees and doing so much wholesale was just this never ending headache of, of too much work to do. There's yeah. always much going on. And so, um, basically over, you know, after s- struggling, trying to do sort of half the old business plan and half the new one, we finally decided to pretty much focus on retail and just keep a couple of our, our best local wholesale accounts, Camino, um, and then actually one down the Oregon coast that had been with us from the beginning and focus on the, the local scene and get, you know, retail prices, um, and then finally, I would say 2019 was about the year that everything was clicking. It was just the two of us. And so we were coming into 2020 like, yeah, we got this <laughs> dialed in. We finally, we, we got it made now. So, and then, uh, yeah, we all know how that went. Um, disaster phase two. Um, fortunately, in, in 2020, there you know we were able to get government assistance. It wasn't like... Oh, too bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, you know, we got um, the payroll protection plan. We got some government loan money, which finally got all forgiven. All right. Um, and so that kind of tied us over. Um, you know, we took a little time off in the summer for the first time in 20 years, which was awesome. Nice. Um, and then, honestly, like the local folks, um, they exceeded my expectations in their support. Um, old friends. Um, family members, just old customers were um, really pitched in and helped out. Like I post on Facebook and people I didn't even know realize were on there were suddenly ordering from me. Um, and it was, it went from like, oh my gosh, this is a crisis. To like, wow, I can't believe how awesome people are. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and, and this year we basically are back on track with where we were in 2019. Nice. Um, so it's, you know, we had, our first show at Anacortes in um, August was like this record show. It was incredible. Like, I mean, it was, it had been a record show in 2019 and we were up 80%. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like our shelves at home were like empty. It was ridiculous. We never, <laughs> never dreamed we would sell quite so well. And it wasn't that it was crowded and tons of people there. It's just everybody was being supportive. Yeah. And so we heard talking to the other artists, you know, we've become, it's like our cohort, all these other artists, people we know and, um, and everybody kind of had the same story. The, oh my gosh, this is a crisis. Uh, well, we made it through. We got some, you know, whether they did unemployment or got the PPP or whatever that, you know, made it through. And then everybody's like, I can't believe how good we're doing this year. Yeah. So I, I really think a big part of that is kind of this whole buy local concept is always kind of a little, it was back there. There's a little bit of background noise. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it blows like, this is really important. Yeah. <laughs> we, need, we don't want to see these folks go out and, um, and that's what I keep hearing from other small business owners is, you know, after, like 220, 2020 changed things and it changed the mentality of, of people as well of like, you know, we want these businesses to survive. So we're going to support them, um, which is really great. Yeah, no, I think that's for sure. And I think uh, this holiday season is continuing to compound on that because 
you know, kind of the p- things that in places where people normally go to get Christmas gifts or whether you order online or whatever, like everything's such a mess right now that yeah. the only thing you can rely on is being able to actually walk into a store and walking out with something. And mm-hmm. the supplies that normally fill those shelves from overseas and stuff are all backed up right now. So mm-hmm. we're seeing the people are, are looking to local things and locally made and um, because you yeah. can actually get those. Yeah. And we're having a hard time keeping up. And that's what we're hearing from other artists. Like we got kind of, yeah, we got behind. We're just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like we're like, we're barely keeping up with it. It's it's really amazing how, you know, people have been so supportive of it. So mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. So when you guys had made that decision to kind of close most of your wholesale and really push towards retail, what were kind of your, your uh, channels and stuff for like sales channels and marketing and stuff? Um, the, the big, uh, like summer festivals that are really like um, the, you know, our main focus in our business at, you know, pre-COVID. Um, like we'd always done the Tulip Festival in Mount Vernon mm-hmm. that starts in the spring. And then we do some shows in Seattle, like University Street Fair. And um, I go out to the Squim Lavender Festival is always a good show. And then in Anacortes. And, um, and so we do all these kind of shows around the Puget Sound. And they've always been really good. They you know, they attract artists from, you know, all over the Northwest. They're coming from Idaho and Montana and up from California and Oregon because they just are really good shows. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some friends where they just, it's kind of like the circuit where they'll do, come up, this guy that he lives down in California, come up and do all these shows here in the summertime because that's where the good shows are. And then in the wintertime, he does, you know, a circuit down in the Southwest. Um so that was kind of our main focus. We, we have a website, and that was always like, had a little gravy, you know, on top, you know, a little, you know, just a little extra. And that, and that became our, our lifeline. And, <laughs> and it's continued to be really good. Um, and so that's like, okay, this, this could actually shift. You know, the shows are so focused in the summer, and that's when it's really nice to get out and go hiking or kayaking or something. We're like, hey, maybe we can cut out a couple shows in the future because now our online sales and just selling directly from our studio has been really good. Yeah. Um, we'll make up and then maybe instead of doing two shows in July and two in August and we can do one in each of those months and actually have some more free time to get out and enjoy life. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I, I think, um, a, a thing I keep, I come back to a lot, um, you know, and I have to make, I make this decision. I feel like in our business, you have to decide what you want out of life and what you want out of your business. And, mm-hmm. um, there, you know, you, you meet a lot of different business owners and some are, uh, and there's not anything wrong with either way you want to go. If you are in it for the, the growth and just keeping score and seeing how, how far you can take something. Um, or if you want to do more of a balance and you want to hang out with family and friends and kids, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just think there's a lot of, you know, you get to decide how you want to do that. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's tough because, you know, and you got to be pretty self-motivated and driven to make it happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and so to be able to cut back to, you know, and Joy life a little bit more is really hard when you've you've spent so many years being like you got to make hay while the sun shines. Like we've got business, so we got to work, you know. And and yeah. it's really hard to to cut back from that when you've been on this roller coaster for so long of the ups and downs. And um, so yeah, I mean, right now it's like we're taking you know one day weekends, 
you know, really trying to crank it out because we know, well, come January, not so much is going to be going on and we'll, we'll make it up then. But it's, you know, it's a hard balance. And I, I think every, when you say every small business owner really struggles with that. And mm-hmm. how do you, how do you balance that work life thing when, you know, there's nobody telling you you have to show up to work. You're telling right. yourself. It's really hard to tell yourself not to get that little bit extra done because there's always something yep. that's not being done that you're waiting on. And I think in in the art world, though, the the get bigger thing it has a lot of there's a lot of pitfalls there. I think it's um, that was kind of the big lesson we learned in the the recession of 2008 and nine is trying to get big. You know, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. Yeah. You know, and and. When a recession hits, usually art's the first thing to go. It's yeah. like, well, people still need to pay all these other bills, but they don't need to buy a new set of dishes, you know. And yeah, um, so we've we've learned to be very cautious about, you know, staying small. For us, has been the secret to our success. As employees, you know, we had a couple employees for a long time, and as they left, we just didn't rehire, and that's how we got smaller. And we actually had, we made a little more money, <laughs> and we actually had a little more freedom when we didn't have employees anymore. Yep. So it's kind of like, you know, for us at least, and that's that's just our experience, is that, you know, not, you know, being smaller was better. Yeah. And we've heard that a lot from other artists that have done what we've done. Um, and we know a lot that have kind of that one or two employees, and that seems to be kind of the sweet spot. One, two, or none. Yeah. <laughs> you want to try to get too big with it, or, or it just, you know, you're just going to have to be hustling all the time. Yep. Um, with just the two of us, we can sell everything we make just in the Puget Sound, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to travel very far to, to make our business work. Yeah, that's great. So, um what how did you guys kind of come up with the designs of for the pottery and the glazes and stuff that you guys uh produce um well we kind of you know my original intent was like i really like just classic shapes and when i, I worked with um frank and bunyai that was kind of his big theme like you know we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here we're just we're making basic functional pottery you know nice smooth bowls flat plates and we're just going to have like you know, fun kind of flashy glazes that are also at the same time just kind of, you know, timeless. Um, and so we basically are we're doing something very similar to what I started with 20 years ago. It's it's evolved with time. I feel like it's gotten our decorations got a little bolder, um, but the concept's still the same. Just a you know classic pleasing shapes that people have been using and used to for for thousands of years. There's there's basic ratios and dimensions that people just kind of like yeah Um, so we're not you know and i just i like the uniformity some potters like everything to be different um that's just a style thing i've always liked having things be more uniform and we try to you know stick with that it's sort of like a just a traditional you know pottery method of, of making sets of things so that people can collect it um, and, and that can maybe get a little mundane in the studio, but it's it's always worked for us as far as we have a really good repeat customer base where people know that they can, you know, get a plate. And it's going to, you know, pretty well match other plates as good as handmade is going to get. <laughs> you know, they come into, you know, they, they know they can get a, a pound of coffee and a stein at Camino Island and they're, you know, they're 
friend that they're giving that as a gift to you is going to be stoked because yeah. it looks nice. And um, so it just kind of, it's always just kind of worked. I've always, you know, get, it kind of takes you back to that classical, you know, Ukrainian loving the history of it. It's like, I just like the basic um, shapes that have always been used. Um, and there's just some, there's a simplicity there and there's a beauty in that simplicity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then we just try to make the glazes look like something kind of natural, like a like you'd find like a polished stone or the you know, the you know the waves of the ocean on the you know the light blue or you know just we just want it to look sort of simple but beautiful with a lot of depth. Um, and it just seems to work. You know, people really like you know they'll, they'll see different things in it. You know, we're not trying to paint figures or, or create a certain you know, oh, there's bicycles or dogs or something, but they'll see like stuff in it. You know, they'll see mountains and sunsets, and and that's kind of what we're going for to get you know other people's imagination going with it. Like, yeah, no, and I've always, uh, I mean, my parents have plenty of of your guys's stuff, and um, we still have kids in the house, so you know we've got things that break every. T- uh, all the time so um but i've been eyeing like some of your mugs and stuff for a very long time because i love their their size is great um Mm -hmm. and like my parents have had some of their stuff for a very long time and yeah it it, Mm -hmm. it's very strong and so i think i think a few mugs would at least survive my children still so (laughs) yeah um yeah dishwasher microwave oven safe not necessarily kids safe right (laughs) that's the one you can't plan for yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's great. So um, another question I had because uh, within business, there's obviously a lot of moving pieces and, and aspects to it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, how have you guys, have you and Natalie, kind of um, maneuvered through business, working together on a day and day by day basis? Um, how have you guys kind of made that work? And, and what are the things that you guys have found that helps in that? Um, well, we've definitely like. There, there are tasks that we do together and then tasks that we do individually. And I think that's a kind of a, a key to it. Like we, we do the fun stuff together, like the, the decorating of the pottery and the unloading of the kiln. We do that together. That's kind of the big, you know, the fun payoff when you're unloading that kiln. The more mundane things like Natalie does the taxes and I pound out the clay balls for making plates or whatever. And so it's, I think, having that mix where we, we kind of have our separate tasks and helps keep us from getting in each other's hair a little too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it also helps that we're, you know, we're best friends, you know, when before we worked together, we, we just kind of did everything together. So it wasn't like this big stretch. Um, I and mean, we even like, I decorate the, the black pottery and the blues and she does the gold stone and the lavender. And like, we, we really have things kind of separated out and that's, that's developed over time. Um, where we have sort of our separate roles we do in the studio. Um, and I think that helps. And, you know, we we don't always agree. So I think it's, you know, it's best to kind of have that, like, that philosophy when you're working together that it's, it's not personal, it's business. You know, you're trying to, you know, work stuff out. It's not like you're going to disagree from time to time and you can't, yeah. you can't take it personally. It's just you got to make decisions and it's that can be tough. You know, not every decision is an easy one running a business. So... And then outside of work, also, we try to do the fun stuff together and, you know, we kind of split the chores up so we're not doing everything together all the time. And um, and we have a lot of similar hobbies and different hobbies, so we're, you know, not always 
doing everything together. I think that's the struggle for you know a lot of the couples we know that that do arts together. It's like you have to you just have to kind of divide out the tasks mm-hmm. um, to make sure that you're not you know bugging each other over the details and everything. Um, and most of the potters I know do work as couples. Okay. Uh, at least a lot of them do that are you know serious professionals, not the like the hobby artist style. And it, and that seems to be a, a common division that one of them does more of the business managing, the other is a little more production oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's pretty classic. I feel like for pottery couples. Okay. Nice. So how do you guys, uh, do you guys have any sort of process or anything that you guys kind of use when you're making a decision uh, if you guys aren't able to come to an agreement? Um, not really. Okay. No, that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, I don't, you know, fortunately, you know, we can just kind of, we're usually pretty good at just kind of talking things through and finally just kind of coming to an agreement on something. Um I wouldn't say there's really much of a formal process because, you know, we do a lot of tasks together. And so we just kind of chat about something. And, um, you know, over the years, we've gotten to know a little more what each other's, you know, limits or buttons are. I mean, you you try to avoid pushing those. And and also, like, you know, knowing how much does something even really matter that much? Is it worth, you know, arguing over? And um, so I think we just kind of both learned to, like, kind of relax a little bit more on needing to have something your way or not. And, yeah. Um, you know, you just got to, yeah, it's, it's just a business decision. It's not, you know, not personal. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. So. Very cool. So now kind of looking ahead then, um, you know, we're coming to the end of 2021. Um, what are you guys kind of looking ahead for, for 2022? Um, well, hopefully the the show more of the shows will happen again this next year. Um, you know, we're we're kind of hoping that stick with that formula that worked in the past of you know keeping our our few good wholesale accounts going, um, so we get that kind of that monthly check, and then you know hit the big shows in the spring and summer. Um, no, honestly, my big goal this next year is to to be able to you know in, enjoy a little less work and a little less stress. It's it's been a stressful couple of years. Yeah. Um, we're really hoping to get back to a, a, a more normal schedule, which for us has always been slightly subjective. <laughs> um, you have to work a lot of weekends. So it's like our weekends are often kind of a mess. Um, and so we're hoping to get back to Sunday, Monday weekends, and then hopefully be able to sneak in a couple sunny days off here and there um, in the new year. It's less, less time spent strategizing, I guess, is, is our big hope for 2022. There's been a lot of rearranging the deck chairs on the, the Titanic in 2020. And, and then this year too, just trying to, you know, figure out how to make it all work. So the year started off, things were still pretty hairy. And yeah. it wasn't, it didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and it worked out better than we thought it would. So we're just hoping that this next year we can not spend so much time strategizing and stressing and just be able to, to focus a little bit more on um, the production end of things because that's we got behind because we're just scrambling to try to figure out how to make it work. Yep. So yep. we're hoping to be able to get a little bit ahead in the new year so that in the summertime when we actually have business, we're not like, oh my gosh, how do we make and sell all this pottery that we don't have yet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. 
so the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Um, well, we went to our, our favorite used bookstore and loaded up on a bunch of used books. I, I love reading um, in the evenings, especially in the wintertime. And so I got this giant stack of books, you know, for relatively inexpensively. So I would say that's my favorite purchase. I've been um, really enjoying, uh, found some new, some great new books. So Nice. What, always- what style of books are you normally reading? Um, my favorite is historical fictions are my favorite. I love big epic sagas of, um, you know, his fictional characters participating in historical events. I do read a lot of biographies, and I, I also like adventure um, books about, um, you know, mountain climbers or, you know, sea exploration and stuff like that. So, yeah, very cool. Is there a favorite uh, book series that you enjoy in that, that vein? Um, you know, I would say I've, I've really enjoyed a lot of the Mishner novels, um, and Edward Rutherford writes some really great, like, epic historical fictions that are, are really well done. Okay. Um, those would be my probably a couple of my favorite authors. Nice. Very cool. All right. Uh, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would their first day look like? Um, well, we probably... Um, actually had my brother-in-law they hadn't seen for many years come this summer and we threw some some burgers on the grill and took them for a little hike our favorite little river hike nearby um and some other and we if it's nice weather i would like to to try to get somebody outside you know to see the mountains or yeah. or, go to the, or something you know enjoy what we love best about the northwest um, yeah. some of the natural environment um, yeah Very and cool. usually some good cooking yes yeah, well, that's another benefit of being in this area. There's so much that's made or grown or, you know, pastured mm-hmm. locally, so you can just get everything right here. It's yeah. Very cool. All right. Uh, who's an interesting or fascinating person uh, that I should interview next? Um, so I, I had two ideas. One is another artist um, I think is absolutely fascinating is Stephen Murray. He's the sock mountain potter. I, he's probably close to 80, if not over 80. And he was one of the original inspirations for me getting into art and pottery. He's, he's a fascinating guy. Um, his um, wife, Nicole, is also, she helps sell, but she's also an author. They're both, they're a really neat couple. Um, and they're up near concrete. And I, I just find them really interesting. Um, and then a, a non-artist, I, I find a it would make a great interview, would be Andrew Miller. He's an old classmate. He's the... Um, kind of one of the main guys behind the um, spinach bus ventures. They bought the uh, Tulip Town, and he's a real big mover oh, and okay. local um, Skagit Valley movement. Um, uh, he, he's a fascinating guy. I highly recommend him as a good interview. Very cool. Yeah. No, I've uh, we got to go visit them, I think it was in 2020, because they took it over, and then we had 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and they've pulled through, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with the, his never say die spirit and charisma and having a, a core group of people dedicated to making it happen. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's a great person to talk to about perseverance um, and s- succeeding in the face of what seems like um, an impossible situation. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, that would be I would love to do that. All right. And lastly, uh, what piece of advice would you give your 20 year old self? Um, to probably to stay positive, 
Um, I think that there are times um, when every artist, um, things can get rough and you got to you got to keep a positive mindset and you just got to, you know, stay positive and, and push through. Um, eventually things will work out. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Jeff McDougall for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. That's CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. And have a Merry Christmas, and I'll talk to you guys next year.